right, grab a seat, and if you are a kid, or you feel like a kid this morning, want to hang out with the kids, head off with Terry and Fernanda, and, uh, <laughs> dude, I think it's just you guys, man. Abel. Oh, Abel? Oh, yeah, dude. Right on. All right. All our other kid folks don't seem to be here today, but uh, I do know where they're at. <laughs> All right. Amen. All right. Well, um, listen, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 6 this morning, and a uh, pretty cool chapter, and it's probably going to go a little bit different than how you've heard this. Uh, a lot of people take this as to uh, how the deacon's ministry got started, and we're going to look at that aspect. But what I see in this is I see the devil trying to stop the church again. And um, if you've noticed in the book of Acts, ever since they received power, ever since they start adding to the church daily and people are becoming born again, the enemy comes in and tries to all these different ways of distracting, all these different ways of stopping them. And so today um, we're, we're going to see something that's very prevalent today, this tactic uh, is, is something that's used all the time. So I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of hand motions, a little bit of worship aerobics to go with this today. Are you guys ready? Because uh, if somebody's asleep next to you, just elbow them and we'll get going. But uh, here's the first thing. I want, I, I want you to see that, that, that the enemy tries to discourage us. So show me your like pouty, discouraged face like this. Come on, put your hands up here like this. Have, you got your pouty, discouraged face, okay? So here it goes. Whenever I say discouraged, I want you to put your hands up here like this, all right? Got to get the hands going because the hands are going to go with everything else, all right? So the first thing is he starts out by trying to discourage, discourage us, all right? You got this discouraged face. And after he discourages us, then he divides us, okay? You see that? If he can get us discouraged, then he divides us, all right? This is where you can, like, accidentally hit the person next to you if you don't like it this morning or something. All right, so here we go. Let's start again. First, the enemy likes to discourage us. Anybody ever feel that way? Man, I didn't get what I wanted, Kevin. You do that really well, right? He discourages us. And then next, if he gets us discouraged, we try to find people who feel like us. So he divides us. And then once he's got us divided, then he has us distracted. Do you guys know that? Okay, so here we go real quick. He discourages us, divides us, and distracts us. Has anybody been in that position? Has he ever used that on you? Is he using it on you now? This is a tactic that the world falls prey to all the time. And as believers, we fall prey to it, but we have the answer for it. So when he discourages us, divides us, and distracts us, what we need to do is we need to remember our purpose. Everybody show me, remember your purpose. As we find out if your deodorant's really working or not. All right. He, he, we remember our purpose. All right. We line up our priorities and then we plow forward. All right. Do we have that? Who has that down now, man? God gave me that in the shower this morning. I want you to know. I've been studying this all week, and, and God gave me that this morning. So let's see if we got it. He discourages us. He divides us and distracts us. But to avoid that, we remember our purpose. We line up our priorities, and we plow forward. Who has that? Who's got it down? Come on, man. Who has it? Show me. Come on. Somebody. You know. Sophie, come on up. You and Emily. Yeah, Sophia and Emily, come on up, man. Go, just stand up right here. Emily, be a leader. Come on. You're mentoring her, right? All right, turn around, turn around. And you can just close. Hey, you know what, Sophie? You can just close your eyes and act like they're not there, okay? But it's much better if you just look someone in the eye because whoever you look at, I'm going to call on them next, all right? All right, so here we go. Here's, here's the enemy's plan, and here's God's solution. Go ahead, girls, lead them. Divides us and distracts us. But we're supposed to remember our purpose, line up our priorities, and plow forward. Man, don't forget that. Good job. That's it, man. You know why I'm doing this is so that if you do this now, you won't be scared like all these other adults to get up in front of people, man. All right? It'll all be good. But seriously, man. You ever notice that in this world, all someone's got to do, whether it's the media or some leader, it's like they take a ball, they pick a ball this week, and they throw it, and like little puppies, we all run after it and we chase it, right? And then other stuff's happening, and, and we so get discouraged because our own needs aren't being met, because I didn't get what I wanted, it didn't go my way, and rightfully so sometimes. There are things we need 
and we need to be able to bring it up. But most often, it's starting to think about ourselves and not others. And we get discouraged, and all of a sudden, we get divided because now we start finding people that feel like us, and then we start hating people that feel like the other people. And if he's got us divided, now he's got us running around like chickens with our head cut off, man. Hey, y'all remember that saying? Anybody ever see a chicken running around with its head cut off? You have seen that? I promise. When I was growing up on a farm in Orlando, a few miles from where Disney World is. I was born and raised in Orlando before Disney. And my granny buddy, she would, she would take a chicken and she'd wring its neck. She'd cut it off. And I'm sorry if that's offending you, but that's how we ate before Winn-Dixie and Publix and all that stuff. And cut its head off. But, man, that chicken could, keep, could run and, and take off. And that's how we are when we're distracted. We're running around like a chicken with our head cut off. Somebody's leading us. Somebody's distracting us. Somebody's divided us. And now we're running around and we've lost our purpose. So we have got to come back to remembering what our purpose is as believers. And our purpose, as we said before, is to help each other see life from God's perspective. It's simple, man. we got to come back to that purpose. Whenever you get distracted, you remember your purpose. If you're a born-again believer, God could have taken you to heaven and met every one of your fleshly needs. Everything you ever wanted to be happy and holy and wholesome and he could do it much better in heaven than he does here. But he left us here so we can help each other see life from God's perspective as we go through stuff. Man, so we've got to remember that purpose. And the way now, the next step again, is we line up our priorities. And our priorities, you keep God first, your family second, your job third, and everything else below that. And that's a hard thing to do in this world because what squeaks the loudest out of those three? God, family, and job. What squeaks the loudest? Your job. All of a sudden, you flip the triangle upside down and you've got your job. And then you've been doing that. Now the next thing that squeaks the loudest is your family. And then if you've got time, you've got God, and we've got a messed up world. We've missed our purpose. We've messed up our priorities, man. No wonder we don't have peace. No wonder we're distracted and divided and discouraged in all of that. And we're not plowing forward because when you don't know where the row is, when you don't know where you're going, you can't plow forward. You're wandering aimlessly when God's got a very specific purpose for you on this planet. I want you to see how the disciples handled this because they're a great example. Whenever you need to remember this and get back on track again, look to this story because that's the real story here. I don't know if this is where deacons were instituted or not. I don't know if they made this an official deacon office. I do know later in the New Testament they talk about deacons and deaconesses and elders and all these things. But here, I think the point that God wants us to see is that the enemy likes to discourage us so he can divide us or, and then he can distract us and we make no progress. And the apostles are going to show us, no, 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 I remember my purpose. I remember my purpose, I'm lining up my priorities, and I'm plowing forward to do what God has called me to do. So check this out. It goes on and says, but as the believers rapidly multiply. Now, man, if the believers are rapidly multiplying, who's excited about that? One, God's excited that the believers are multiplying. Two, the believers are excited because, man, they started as a little group, and now they went to 3,000. They went to 5,000. They quit counting, and at 5,000, if each one of them had two kids and one wife, that's 20,000 people. And it just kept multiplying as they shared the, as they remembered their purpose and they lined up their priorities and they plowed forward. They kept multiplying, and this is that was when they said the 5,000. That's one of the last times in Acts you'll see them even counting the believers. There's no more count. They just keep multiplying. So they're excited. As the believers rapidly multiply, now who's not excited? One, the enemy's not excited because his kingdom is now falling. Two, the Sadducees, as we talked about last week, the religious leaders who ran the temple didn't believe in anything supernatural and had it as their economic system. They weren't excited. Because now their system and their comfort wasn't, the Rome wasn't excited. And believe it or not, now we're going to see some of the believers weren't excited. Because all along what you see, you remember we've seen that word one accord, one accord, one accord. They've had one heart, one mind. They're in one accord. And again, all the devil's got to do is get you discouraged to get you divided. Now you're not in one accord, you're in two accords. Three accords, four accords, we're all in a different Honda at this point. We're all over the place. 
And we're not going in the same direction. That was a bad joke, wasn't it? <laughs> but seriously, he instead of being in one accord, they now get discouraged. Look what happens. It says, as the believers rapidly multiplied, and the more people you bring together, the more opinions, the more carnal attitude, the more everything, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have what happens next. There were rumblings of discontent. Everybody show me your discontent, your discouragement. That didn't get what I want. How many of y'all had that face this week? Anybody had that face this week? Where you were discontent? It didn't work out that way. Now, how many of y'all saw somebody who's in here with that face that didn't raise their hand? Yeah. yeah, all right, yeah, there we go. All right, good. Yeah, don't get in too much trouble. But, yeah, all he's got to do is start and make us not grateful for what we have or where we're at. Because when you're grateful, everything is great. great. Exactly. That's why you keep asking God, why should I be grateful for this thing that's bringing me anxiety? And you start to see how God's working in your life for it. If you can be grateful for things that bring you anxiety and be grateful for anything else, but they were now becoming selfish and they were becoming ungrateful and there might have been a need, but instead of trying to solve it, they got disgruntled and they got grumpy and they got discouraged. Look what the discouragement was. Look how this worked out. It says the Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers. <gasps> there was racial tension and literally that's what it was. Okay, because here's it was almost and in reality, I'm going to show you the, the Greek speaking believers were very liberal in their in their lifestyle and theology. And the Hebrew speakers were very ultra conservative in their speaking in their lifestyle. Does this sound familiar? Man, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. It's what the devil has used since day one. But if you've got a Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and you follow it, he will take opposites and put you in one accord. But the devil can get you discouraged and get you divided so he can get you distracted. We've got to continually remember our purpose. We've got to line up our priorities and we've got to plow forward. We've got to do that. Here's the deal. The Greek, basically, whenever somebody conquered Israel, they would take a bunch of people and they would, they would move them out. They would ship them out. And they put them under new leadership. They put them under, you know, if they, they could divide and conquer. So uh, you remember, uh, the, first it was the Assyrians that took them. Okay, then, then uh, Judah got conquered by the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar, the book of Daniel, all of that in there. Then they got conquered uh, by, oh, I'm sorry, they got conquered by the Assyrians. Then got the Medo-Persians. Uh, they were there, the Babylonians, the, the Greeks, the Romans. They had been under oppression. They had been so divided out. So these are Jews, but they're not Jews living in Jerusalem. These are Jews that now under the last regime prior to the Romans, it was the Greeks, and they were basically Greek Jews. They were living in a Greek culture. And so to get along in that culture, they took on Greek customs. They, weren't, they didn't care about speaking Hebrew or speaking Aramaic. They spoke Greek because everybody else spoke Greek. They dressed like the Greeks. They acted like the Greeks. They fit in a Greek society, which right or wrong, that's how it was. Now, the Jews, they were the ones who staunchly, whenever they could, came back to Jerusalem. They tried to be as Jewish as Jewish could be, speaking Hebrew, only doing Jewish things, dressing Jewish, acting Jewish, everything. And so they were really conservative Jews, and the Greek ones were very liberal ones. They, they had some questionable practices according to the Old Testament. And so you had these people. Now what happened is they, were, they all got born again. <laughs> and you don't just get erased. You're all, I mean, you become a brand new creature in Christ, but you are who you are. You are, you can't, you don't just like throw away everything you have become and it's not God's plan. God gives you a shape. Let me share that with you. There's a, back in the old uh, uh, saddleback days, back in the 90s, they used a shape model to help you figure out what you're supposed to be doing in life and how to do it. S stood for spiritual gifts. What's your spiritual gift? What do you like doing? Are you a teacher? Are you a giver? Are you a server? Are you an encourager? Are you a, you know, what, what's your spiritual gift? And not that that's the only thing you can do. H, what's your heartbeat? What do you like doing? Okay, so what's your gift? What did God gift you as? What do you like doing? Well, dude, I like singing, but that ain't my gift. So I better find another use for it like EJ in the music ministry. By the way, can you sing? 
No? Okay, good. Good thing you're right there. That's it. He's got, all right, so you've got a spiritual gift. You've got a heartbeat. A, what's your ability? What are you good at doing? P, what's your personality? Knock down personalities in four places. There's introverts, extroverts, and in both of those, there's organized and unorganized people. Okay, I'm kind of an unorganized extrovert, if you haven't figured that out, all right? You know, are there any unorganized introverts in here? You're really in trouble. Yeah, no, no. All right. So, yeah, um, you just march the beat of your own drum. That's why you could you know drums, man. But anyway, so you have your S, your spiritual gifts. That's what God's gifted you with a temperament, of, you know, uh, 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 just a drive on the inside. You've got your H, which is your heartbeat, what you love doing. Your A, what you're good at doing. That's your ability. P is your personality. But listen, E, that's your experiences. That's the experiences. Man, you got different experiences than me, JJ. And Laura, you got different experiences than JJ. We've all got unique experiences. And has anything happened in your life that's an accident, Natalie? No, God wants to take every one of your experiences combined with your personality, your ability, your heartbeat, and your spiritual gift and give you a unique ministry that's different than Ben. And it could be serving in the same place, but it's different. And so when God takes total opposites and brings them together with the power of his Holy Spirit, man, what a powerful army we have. But when we try to be cookie cutters and try to be like each other and we don't try to be a spirit-filled us, that's when we get in trouble, and that's what happens with the church also. We'll see that later. But in this one, we have two groups of people that didn't like each other to begin with. Do you think the ultra-conservatives, when they saw the Greeks, the liberal Greeks coming into town, what do you think they felt? Oh, here goes the neighborhood, you know? And then, the, and then these people, what do you think they thought as they saw the, 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 the hardcore, you know, uh, uh, help me out, Hebrew people, you know, speaking Hebrew, and, and, and there were all kinds of Pharisees. There were even these bleeding head Pharisees. You know that? It's like they would, the bleeding head Pharisees, it was a sect of Pharisees trying to be so Hebrew, they did not want to take the chance of lusting after anything that was immoral, anything. So they walked around with their head down like this. And literally, I promise you, go study history. There were bleeding head Pharisees, and they ran into walls. They ran into things, and they kind of did it on purpose because the more scars they had, the more pious they were. Now, if you're one of those liberal Jewish Greek Jews coming in and you see these guys, you're like, oh, you know. So you imagine there was a rift to begin with. A cultural rift. There was racial tension, even though they were just, they were all Hebrew. But the power of the Holy Spirit brought them all together. The same way he does in marriage. How many of you all know God puts opposites together? Yes, he does. And it's a good thing because if both of you were the same, one of you is not necessary. It's like God puts you together so you can leave, cleave, and weave and form that for your family. Amen. I praise God I married an opposite, man. Man, if we both talked as much as me, we'd have no friends. <laughs> we talked as much as her, we'd have no friends because she doesn't talk. <laughs> so what I'm saying, and you can take that with everything. It's awesome when God puts opposites together and they're filled with the spirit and they learn how to work together. And that's what happens when we remember our purpose and we focus and line up our priorities and we plow forward. But if in your oppositeness, in your relationships, God can get you discouraged because it's not going your way. And by the way, if you're married, your way's not right, their way's not right, y'all's way is right. There's a new way that is supposed to be with everybody in the group that's spirit-filled. But if he can get you discouraged and get you pouting and get you upset, guess what happens next? He gets you divided. And then if he gets you divided, then you just get distracted and you're headed nowhere until you come see me and we try to get you back here again. <laughs> or somebody. That's what happened, man. The Greek-speaking believers, they were complaining about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Now, what were they complaining about? Was it legitimate? Probably so. But what percentage of their complaint was probably not legitimate? <laughs> I mean, don't you find what you look for? You know, don't you find it? If you want to find trouble, you can find, if you want to find fault in something, you can find fault in something. It's easy if that's what you're looking for. You find what you look for. And so when you've got these opposites and you're not spirit-filled and you're fighting and you're discouraged and now you're dividing, you are looking for everything that you can find wrong about this other group in here. And so don't problems just get blown out of proportion when that happens? Mm -hmm. That's what's happened here. 
boy, the disciples are needing God's wisdom or this whole New Testament church of probably 20, 30, 40,000 now is going to explode and it's going to all be done away with the way Gamaliel said it was going to happen. But they have God's wisdom and God wasn't going to let that happen to his bride. He wasn't going to let it happen. And so look what happens now. They complained about the Hebrews being believers. And here's what they said that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Okay? Sounds legitimate. Now, here's the way things worked back then. This wasn't really probably, it could be, but it probably wasn't like a soup kitchen where basically they had a lot of food and basically they had a table and they were just, you know, here's your plate. Oh, well, they got two pork chops. I only got one. Well, not pork chops are Jewish, but sorry. You know. <laughs> Here's your shrimp scampi. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't eat that either. But uh, what I'm saying, man, is like, and, they, and, the, and the Greeks are like, yeah, we'll take it. No problem. But in this, they were, it wasn't where they were getting shortchanged on their food. Really, probably more what it was was like a welfare system where you remember everybody was selling their goods at this point. Everybody was, was bringing the funds in and giving it to the apostles at their feet. And the apostles were saying, okay. God give us wisdom on how much to give each person and being able to, uh, you know, let them go out to McDonald's and, you know, Wendy's and buy their own food, Publix and so on, so they could go get their own stuff. So it was more probably like a table uh, where they could exchange money, they could get money and go out. And so they were feeling, that the Greeks were feeling that they were getting shortchanged in the whole gig because they were Greek. Of course it's because they're Greek, right? Why it's always got to be about being Greek? You know what I'm saying? They're be, they were like... So they had a chip on their shoulder to some extent. You know what a chip on your shoulder is? You know where you're walking around with something on your shoulder and you're just daring somebody to knock it off? That's what spirit-filled believers do, isn't it? You have something on your shoulder, you're like, oh, I dare you. In fact, you might even come by and like bump them. Oh, you did that to me, no! Do we not live in a world with people with, their chip, with a chip on their shoulder? Man, we are the last people in the world that should feel that way. Instead of a chip on our shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off, man, we need to be proclaiming, God, look at the blessings I have. I am so grateful, and God is so great, instead of always looking for trouble. But that's the way they were doing. And so maybe it was legitimate. Some of it was, but I'll guarantee you, in dealing with problems with people, as you have, you know a lot of it was bigger in their head than it was in reality. So, boy, the disciples had a mess. You know what? If I was one of them 12, I'd say, all right, God, we're done. Let's just go get martyred right now <laughs> and let somebody else take this over. I'm done. But they weren't because these disciples, man, they, they remembered their purpose. They lined up their priorities and they plowed forward. They weren't getting distracted because the people were divided because somebody was discouraged. They weren't going to let that happen. So they were saying that their widows were being discriminated against. And, and it, so regardless, whether it was real or not, perception's reality. There was a problem. Whether it was real or not, there was, because that's what they said. Tom, next verse. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. Oh, notice this first part. The 12 called a meeting. Now, you would think the 12 would call a meeting with themselves. Say, all right, 12, what are we going to do? Okay, Thomas, you doubt there's a problem. Okay. Peter, you're, you know. Man, they're just looking around. They could have been the 12, but instead, they all came together. Why did they all come together as opposed to just the 12? Did God design it for just the 12, us 12, and no, us four and no more? Did God design it for just them to call all the shots and be the hierarchy? Were they more important than the rest of the believers? Was the Holy Spirit in the 12 more powerful than the Holy Spirit that was in all of them? No. And the more spirit-filled people you can bring together... Not carnal people, not selfish people, not discouraged people, not divided people, but the more spirit-filled people you can bring together, man, the, more, the better the solution is that you're going to have. You know what I love so much about our small groups? Man, I, I love our small groups. And by the way, if you're not coming, come to one. It's awesome. And I'm not even going to tell you what time we get out because what happens is this, man. We get going and people are spirit-filled and we're just reading a passage of scripture. But this spirit-filled believer says this. This spirit-filled believer has this idea. This one has this idea. And when we walk out, we're having, on Monday night, dude, we're having revival in Leviticus, aren't we? 
Who ever heard of revival in Leviticus? <laughs> what I'm saying, in Thursday night, oh my goodness, learning about the tabernacle and seeing Christ active. I hear Ashley and JJ talking about the youth. And what happens is when you bring spirit-filled people together and each one can bring what God is sharing with them, you get a real solution. You get something real. It's not just one guy showing everybody else what they're not 12 guys telling the rest of them what they're going to do. And so in this, they brought the whole church together. They brought the believers. So the 12 called a meeting of how many believers? Oh. Yeah, 20,000 believers, I guess. All right, 30,000, whatever. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, let's look at that, all right? Because on uh, first look, it says, well, free, learning the word of God, teaching it and praying, man, that's way more important than feeding anybody. Is that what that's saying? No, it's not what it's saying. Although, you know what? You got If you don't have anybody feeding you soul food, it don't matter how much spiritual, uh, how much regular food you got. Because let me ask you a question. How, may, uh, how many people died that Jesus fed? Of all the people Jesus fed with the multitudes, how many of them died? All of them. Yeah. Uh, how many people did Jesus heal? How many of them people died? All yeah. All, so if you got no soul food, if people aren't getting born again physically, they're going to die. If all you do is a feeding ministry, if all you do is meet people's physical needs, those people are going to come to the end of their life. They're going to die. And without Christ, they're going to bust hell wide open. So it's all important. But there's somebody that was assigned to giving out the soul food, who was assigned to preaching the gospel, and who was in, uh, really what their job was, was to equip the saints so that as the saints did go out to feed, they in turn could share the gospel. So everybody could use their unique talents, abilities, their ministries to share the gospel that was taught to them by the apostles in this. So it's not that their ministry is better, it's just different. And... So in it, what they're saying is, we know what our purpose is. And I'm going to line up my priorities. Now, the church was fixing to blow up. 20,000 people all upset with, half and half upset with each other. A divided kingdom, a divided country, if you will. And the apostles could have dropped everything they were doing to try to, okay, you know, hey, I'm going to tell you people what you want to hear. And I'm going to tell you guys what you want to hear. And you guys, which, isn't that what politicians do? Isn't that what non-spirit-filled believers do? Don't you try to make peace? But the disciples said, man, there is going to be no peace without the Prince of Peace. Man, I got, we have to make the Prince of Peace our priority. That is what we are called to do. So obviously, if we need some people to do some other stuff, other people are called to do that other stuff. You know? You are so glad that I am not leading worship, aren't you? <laughs> Anybody who, you know, I, I try to stand in different places because when I stand and start singing, it encourages everybody to sing louder than me so they don't have to hear me. You guys have been doing awesome. I'm coming to you next week. No. But everybody takes what they're gifted at, what they've been called by God to do, and you do it. And what's important is that you do what God tells you to do. You got to remember our purpose, and our purpose as believers is help me out to help each other. And now, in order to do that, you got to line up your priorities. And there's some similar things we do. We do need to fellowship and worship together. We do need to really be in small group together, learning the Word of God together. Because if you're in that, man, you see the motivation. You need to be in the Word daily. You need to be in prayer. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be obedient and repenting. There's some things we need to do in order to God, for God to use you in your particular calling, in your particular way. Because if you're not full of the Spirit, you don't have power. And if you don't have power, you can't be a witness. You can't be a poster child for God. You can be a poster child for what people may think is God or what people may think is church. But you cannot be a poster child for God, showing people how God's power can work you through different situations that he's given you in life. You can't do that without his power. You can't do it in the flesh. You try to be a Christian in the flesh. You try to do what God, try to follow God's rules in the flesh. You're either going to fail or have to redefine God's rules, which is what the Pharisees did. So in this man, he says, so the 12 called a meeting and they said, we apostles should spend our time. We must spend our time teaching the word of God not running a food program. So he's not making light of a food program. He's just saying that's not what we're called to do. 
And if we don't do what we're doing, then you guys ain't going to have to worry about a food program. Or your food program is going to be way out of balance and out of whack, and it's going to be good for nothing. It's just going to be another carnal social organization that does nothing but take care of people while they're here on this miserable planet. And when they die, they're going to hell. We need to make, keep this spiritual and keep this a priority in all of this. So look at this. Verse 3, and so brothers, he's talking to them, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit. So who did he tell to go? Here's the solution the apostles came up with. They said, hey, go ahead and select seven guys to be over, over in charge of this. Why seven? I don't know. Seven's the perfect number in scripture. There's seven days in a week. Maybe JJ got one day, Tom got another, Al got another. You know, so it, Monday's your day, Tuesday's your day. I don't know. We don't know that. But he said, collect, select seven guys. And that's what God told them to do. Select seven guys who are well-respected. Well-respected, that means other people are going to listen to them. If they say, do something, hey, we're going to do this, people will listen. That's what it means to be well-respected. And be full of the Spirit, which is key. They've got to be able to be hearing from God. And wisdom, which is seeing life from God's perspective. But who did the apostles ask, the, ask to, who did the apostles put in charge of selecting these seven? Who selected them? The people. Yeah, it wasn't like the apostle said, oh, I got up and said, okay, I got JJ, EJ, XJ, PJ, and TJ. <laughs> I got all these, and these guys are going to be in charge. It wasn't like that. It was like, hey, guys, you know what, Greeks, Hebrews, you guys got an issue. Uh, find seven people that can now take care of this. And guess what? They started getting, they had a purpose now that, where they could now get on one accord again because they had to accomplish something. <laughs> and so look what they did. It says, they said, then we'll give them the responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. If you got nobody praying and teaching the word of God, you are going to be so out there. You are going to be so distracted. I cannot tell you. I've been teaching the word for 20-something years, and I've got to be in it every single day to keep my life on track. Because the devil would so like to discourage me, divide me, and distract me. But it's the word of God that keeps me on track. And the church needs this. When the church gets away from the word of God, it's just another social organization. And people are going to die and they're going to hell. Because that's our job is to share the word and share things from God's perspective. He said, man, we have got to spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So here's what happens in a lot of churches. The pastor says, oh, yeah, okay, my number one responsibility, according to the search team, you know, when they, when they hired me as a pastor, the personnel team, is to teach, and teach the word and pray. Okay, well, guess what happens next? There's a discrepancy. Oh, now I've got to oversee the feeding ministry. Now I've got to oversee the troublemaker ministry. Now I've got to oversee the music ministry. Now I've got... And so what happens is so many pastors, because of the organizational structure of the church, end up having to oversee all these things. And they're doing all this administrative work and still trying to spend time in the Word and pray. Now, how much is there of you? Only so much, Right? So if you're spending all your time in prayer and teaching the word, there it is. But now you start adding stuff to it and you start, it all starts getting watered down. And what the church needs more than anything else is they need some folks that will be in prayer and teach the word, that that's their priority. It doesn't mean the other ministries are less. My wife takes as serious as anybody this coffee ministry. Dude, every church we've been at, behind the scenes, that's my dude. I got to leave by 7.30, and if it's 7.33, 7.35, sometimes it's 7.45, she's going to be late because that's her ministry. Is her coffee ministry more important than mine? No, it's just different. She's doing what God has called her to do the same way. Carol at the top of the stairs, man. Where are you at, Carol? Man, don't you, don't, don't, don't not come. How many of y'all miss Carol if she wasn't at the top of the stairs, man? Dude, you see that? That's you. <laughs> Everyone's got their ministry, and if you don't have one, find one, man. We can, <coughs> we can work that out. And it doesn't have to just be church-related. It's 24-7. It's out there. So, man, here's what happens when we get discouraged, and the devil divides us, and he distracts us. We've got to get it back on track. We've got to remember our purpose is to help people see life from God's perspective. And in order for me as an individual to do it, I've got to line up my priorities. 
and I've got to stay on the priority. Uh, and then I plow forward. Captain Mac, where are you at? Right there. We were out on the boat like uh, Tuesday, I think it was, right? Tuesday? And, um, and I, in the channel, in the, in the inlet, I've always seen these red and white markers. Big red and white markers. And I say, oh, yeah, go down that second one, hang it right. That's a swimming hole. Go down there, there's that. I didn't know what they were for. But they are range markers, right? Range markers. And so when the big ships are out there in the inlet, or out of the inlet, and they're trying to come into the inlet, what they do is they can look and they line up all those range markers. And once they line them up and stay on the left side of them, I'm assuming because some of them are on land, and uh, they stay on the left side of those, but they've got them all lined up, all they gotta do is trust in them and they gotta go. And it gets them there. But they've got to line them all up. They've got to be lined up because if you only look at the next range marker and go to that, you're going to end up on shore. <laughs> they've got to make them in such a way that if you just follow that, that whole path, you're okay. So it's not a matter you know, of, of getting to that one, then getting to that one, and getting out. You've got to line them up and go. The way we've got to line our priorities up, which is God our family, our job, and everything else. Yes, surfing, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Scuba diving, boating, whatever else, fishing, whatever else you like, it's below there. Don't get priorities mixed up. You gotta line them up, man. You gotta remember your purpose and line up those priorities and plow forward, and there's gonna be plenty of excitement, plenty of joy all along the way. Man, that's what the apostles are saying. They're not saying, well, too bad for them Greek ladies, man. Hope you get some baklava. <laughs> you know, that's, no, dude, they're, they're, they're concerned about all of that, but it's somebody else's concern because that's not what they're called to do. And if everyone does what they're called to do, all the bills get paid, all the ministry responsibilities get done, everything happens if everybody does what they're supposed to do. And so that's the point. Next time. Hey, look what happened when they were all filled with the spirit. Read this together with me. Everyone liked this idea. When is the last time you heard that? Wouldn't it be awesome to go and turn on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, local, and everybody says, everyone liked this idea. What's the possibility of that? Yeah, not even see it's negative. It's, it's, not, it's not even remotely the thought. But that's because we're not living in a world of spirit-filled believers. We're living in a world of selfish unbelievers that only care about themselves. And if they care about anyone else, it's for their benefit. And we're living in a world of believers that aren't spirit-filled, that are just like unbelievers that only care about themselves. And can you imagine if just us in this group were spirit-filled and when you're spirit-filled, God's your first priority. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I'll prove that you do it because I'll cause you to love others. Yeah. Well, where is it in for me? <laughs> well, you get the benefit. Isn't it really awesome when you really can love others? Have you ever been there loving someone saying, golly, man, this must be God because I used to hate you. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But seriously, when you've got love for people that have irritated the snot out of you, I'm just saying, you know, when you're loving people that are being very unlovable and people are like, how, how you do that? It's like, dude, it's God. I'm on autopilot. Man, what a joy that is in being able to do that. But it comes from making God your number one priority. Loving them with everything you got, being obedient, following, trusting that that's your priority. You're lining up those range markers, man, following him, knowing you're going to get where you got to get when you got to get there. Everyone liked the idea. The world's not going to see this, but you know what? They should be able to come and be with us and see this. And again, I know we got our differences we, in our houses, we got our differences with each other, but the more spirit filled we are, the less, the more we're going to be able to see this. Everyone liked this idea. So look at this. They chose the following. Now, they chose these seven guys here. Stephen, a man, and we'll be studying Stephen for the next couple of weeks, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Fits qualifications. <laughs> Philip, we meet him. He's the one who uh, led the, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? And then the rest of these other five guys, we don't hear about them ever again. 
Maybe they got martyred. Maybe they just were behind the scenes. I don't know. But there was uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus, uh, and Nicholas of Antioch, earlier, an earlier convert of the Jewish faith. So this guy, Nicholas of Antioch, and by the way, I probably didn't say those names right. If you say them different, you're probably right. Okay. But the last one, look at this. Nicholas of Antioch, so he's the only Gentile out of all of this, but he was a convert to the Jewish faith. And he was living in Antioch, which is part of Greece or whatever over in there. But what do you notice about all seven of those names? Are those good Hebrew names? Are those good Hebrew names? No. What kind of names are those? They're Greek names. Can you imagine that? So who did God put in charge through the Holy Spirit when he said, he told the apostles, you guys... Figure out seven guys that you want to be in charge of this feeding ministry for the Greek widows. And can you imagine that God would actually call Greek people to take care of the Greek widows? Man, that's how we're supposed to do things. Now, I'm not saying that Hebrew people can't, but you see some wisdom in that? Who are those widows going to trust? The Greek people. I mean, it's just there's some wisdom in all of that. And, and so in there, he called seven Greek guys to take care of the Greek widows, all right? You can do with what you want with all of that, but I see it as God's wisdom. Because you know what? It's like, you got, we got racial tension. I don't, I'm not eating that. You probably poisoned my food. You're, they trust the Greeks. In other words, when we're going to accomplish something, man, I think God's going to give us stuff that just makes sense if we just go do it. And so in here, seven presented to the apostles. They prayed for them, and they laid hands on them. Now, laying hands was something they did back in the Old Testament with the sacrifices. Uh, when they came, if this was a bull they brought, I'd uh, lay my hands on it, transfer my sins to it, and then we'd cut its throat. Boom. It represented that it would represent me in all of that. And so this whole laying on hands is, I don't know that there's anything like real power being transposed. You know, if they didn't lay hands, it wouldn't happen. But really, it's symbolic saying, hey, guys, we're vouching for you. And we now give you the authority, and you have the right to represent us in doing it. So if you're a Greek guy and the Greek woman wants to give you, you know, hassle, just say, hey, man, I'm working for them. I got my instructions from them. In other words, we support you in all of this. So they're transferring. They're saying as a church, the church, we believe that these are the guys supposed to do this business right here. They're the ones supposed to take care of this. So they laid hands on them. And, and you can do it, but understand, I really don't, I believe it's nothing more than symbolic in doing that. Um, but yet it does send quite a message. So look at what happens, okay? So let's go back again. And everybody remember your worship aerobics? Everybody started by be being what? Discouraged. Discouraged. Come on, man. Everybody. Hey, dude, this is your last week, man. Come on, help me out, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one more week. Okay, one more week. Everybody started by being discouraged. And when the devil gets you discouraged, he gets you divided. And once you're divided, you are distracted. And sometimes that's where it ends, and we live in a distracted world. But the apostles, seeing life from God's perspective, brought everybody back to seeing their purpose. And then they were able then to line up there and plow forward. And as you plow forward, instead of running around like a chicken with your head cut off, look what happens in verse 7. This is our last verse. It says, so God's message continued to spread. So did the enemy's plan work? Man, and I don't care what your issue is, if you are getting discouraged and getting divided and getting distracted, which, by the way, if you trace it back, it's going to go through that cycle, I'll bet you. If that's where you're at, man, dude, do what the disciples did. Remember your purpose, line up your priorities and plow forward. And although it looks like it isn't going to work, you just trust God because it's going to. And, and, and God's message continued to spread. They could, the devil couldn't stop it. He tried to just stop it. Now, how many of you, I don't want you to raise your hand, but would admit that the devil stopped you because of discouragement? How about maybe you passed the discouragement or, or, or you, know, you were in there and you kept it yourself, but then you got divided and now all of a sudden you're enemies with people and stuff. And, and, and you realize that wasn't even real at some point, but you got divided. And then, how many of you ever just been distracted? You know, somebody told me once that if the enemy can't get you doing the wrong thing, he'll get you doing too many of the right things. 
where you can't focus and you can't be strategic and you can't be effective in the one thing he's called you to do. Man, we gotta know what it is. I'm not saying that we can't do anything else, but I am saying you gotta know what your purpose is. So you can line up your priorities and you can plow forward. The message continued to spread. And look what happened. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, we went from 3,000 to 5,000, which is probably 20,000. And now they're, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000, 100,000. Who knows? It's continuing to spread. In fact, it's continuing to spread. Look at the next part. This is both good and bad. You've got to come back and find out why it's good and bad. But for now, we'll look at it as good. Look at this. Many, many of the Jewish priests were converted also. These aren't the Sadducees who are, who are running the, you know, getting their economic system messed up. These were the everyday priests in the temple doing the offering and doing this. And they were now, just like we're seeing in Leviticus, just like we're seeing in Exodus, where they're saying, oh, that's a picture of what Christ did. Oh, my goodness. That looks just like what you're telling me about Jesus. Now I see it. And those guys were now getting saved. The Jewish priests were getting saved. What an awesome, awesome thing. Who would have ever imagined that they would be getting saved, giving their life to Christ? But it was because the believers, man, they never forgot their purpose. They lined up their priorities and they plowed forward. In spite of persecution, in spite of external, internal persecution, they just kept going. And if we can realize that's why we're here, man, I think we can see a lot of the same stuff. Again, you guys got handed one of these cards on your way in. You guys know these. And, 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 and I don't know if you grabbed one and said, oh, I already have one. Well, you shouldn't. You should be giving them out. And man, look at this again. The gold, you can share the gospel with people with this. The gold represents the fact that I have a home forever with God. And where is that? Heaven. Heaven. Streets of gold, baby. Man, what, what we paid top dollar for for a little bit, man, is going to be the pavement of heaven. <laughs> and I got a home in heaven. But this dark color represents the thing that keeps me out of heaven. Or that kept me separate from God for so many years. And that's my sin. My sin. I could try covering my sin. There's no way I can cover my own sin. I have two choices. I can either die and go to hell and pay for my own sin, according to the Bible, or I can accept what this red represents, which is the, the blood of Christ, that he came on this earth, lived a perfect life, never once sinning. And when he died on the cross and shed every ounce of his blood, and life is in the blood, the soul is in the blood, and he shed all of that, gave all there was to give of his life, God said, I'll accept that as a sacrifice for everyone who will put their faith and trust in him and believe that. And so when I gave my life to Christ, now I got a home in heaven, right? But he didn't take me to heaven. The green represents why he left me here. And that is so that I can grow more in love with him as I walk through this dark world where we have troubles, where we cause our own troubles. But if I can see it from his perspective, if I can remember my purpose and keep my priorities lined up and plow forward, man, as I watch him do supernatural things, things that only he can get blamed for, I grow more in love with him and he causes me to grow more in love with others. And as I do that, man, that's why I'm sharing it with you guys. That's why I'm sharing it out every day. That's how we plow forward. Man, pray and ask God to give you someone. I'm not trying to be legalistic with this or whatever, but that's what we're here for. You heard people say, you had one job, <laughs> one job. That's our one job is to make disciples. This is just a tool to do it with. You don't have to use it. There's so many ways to do it, but make disciples. That's what they did. So one more time, guys, before nobody's sleeping, I don't think. One more time, let's go through the whole thing. Who thinks they've got this now? Come on, man. The, an adult, yes. Oh, no, just stand right there, man. Just stand, come on, just stand right there. All right, there we go. Yeah, all right, good. You girls want to help her too? You already got it once, right? Here we go. All right, anybody else who thinks they got it? All right, here we go. All right, yeah, all right. Your husband's a leader, right? Yeah, I tell them nobody's following you. It's like, I'm messing with you. All right, so here we go, man. It all starts with the devil getting us. And then he gets us discouraged and he gets us. And once we're divided, we are. That's it. But to avoid all of that, no, we're not going. That's just part A. Okay. But but once, but but to avoid all of that, if we will remember our purpose, purpose and line up our, purpose. then we can plow forward. That's it, man. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for um, just putting a story in your word and showing us how the New Testament church, the first century church faced all kinds of opposition, but, um, but they overcame it through the power of the blood, through you, Father, and obeying what you said to do. Father, um, I know that a lot of people have had a, had a lot of rough things happen this week. And I know that the world could justify us being discouraged by some of these things happening. But help us to see that this discouragement is the enemy just sucking courage out of us. Help us, Father, to understand that as we put our eyes on you and our trust in you and our dependence on you, and we understand that you're the one allowing all this in our life, and it's for our good and your glory, that instead of courage being sucked out of us through discouragement, you, Father, will put courage in us through encouragement. So, Father, I pray that whatever it is we're discouraged by today, that we would look to you and find courage, knowing this is just, we're just on the clock for you. That you could take us to heaven at any time and solve all our problems, but while we're here, you're teaching us to trust you so others can see it and others can believe in you. So, Father, encourage us in our discouragement before we get distracted, get divided. But, Father, if we are divided, um, Father, I like how Jesus even said that before you even bring that offering to the altar, if you've got something against a brother or sister, man, get undivided. Father, I pray that you would just put us all in one accord. Get us all out of our own accords and put us in one accord. You would just fill us with your Holy Spirit. And although we have different temperaments and different ideas and different ways of doing things, just put us on track so that we're not divided. If we are divided and we have something against someone, especially another believer, or even especially a non-believer, help us, Father, to experience your forgiveness and be able to give it and receive it so that, again, we're in one accord. And, Father, it'll all keep us from being distracted. I think of that chicken running around Granny's yard with its head cut off. Eventually, it ran out of steam. She picked it up and um, finished it off. And we don't want to see that happen to any of us. Father, help us to run this race with persistence and purpose, remembering that our purpose is to help each other see life from your perspective. And the only way we can do that is by lining up these priorities that you've given us, making you our number one, loving you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with everything. Father, help us line up these priorities so we can just plow forward, knowing that if we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, everything we need will be added <coughs> to us. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here that's not sure that they're going to heaven when they die, they're not sure that they've surrendered their life to you, they're not sure of where they stand with you, but you're giving them a desire they can't refuse right now to just surrender their life to you. Father, I, I pray you just keep removing obstacles. I pray they would have the courage to receive the grace you're giving them to just surrender their life to you right now. Father, there's no one here that's ever surrendered their life to you and wish they hadn't, but thousands like me wish we'd done it sooner. So if there's someone that needs to surrender to you, give them the ability. Tell them it's okay to give up, trying to be the boss, trying to be the final answer. And give them the ability to just trust in you. Not only for everyday situations, but what's really important for when they're dead and they can't do anything, they can trust you to make them rise up to new life and have a home and life in heaven forever. So Father, thank you again for giving us this way to remember it. And I pray that we would never forget. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.